All right. Welcome. Thanks for coming. Listen, there's a handout. If you didn't get it, there's, there's handouts in the back. Uh, if there's any kind servants that want to pass some of those out for some other people, we're going we're gonna to get to those in a little bit. So snag one of those handouts on that back table uh, that I'm going to take you through. Here's what I'm trying to do. I'd, I'd like to use these times to address some questions. Each week, we'll kind of take on a question. And remember what the heart of this is. The heart of this is just reflection, like really wanting to reflect on the year we just had and to even kind of evaluate it in a reflective sense, right? Like we're asking, we're we're trying to ask some of the questions about what did we just go through and and what are some of the things that we can do rightly to respond to it. And those are the kind of categories that are helpful to not have a season like we can be in or not to be the kind of family, as I mentioned last time, that just wants to brush everything under the carpet, right? But we really want to ask some hard questions, look at ourselves, and even understand our world. And then what I'll try to do for each particular gathering is give you some kind of a category to help your analysis of it, right? So, I, I mean, I gave you, if you look at the notes, there, there's a little bit of heady stuff, right? Don't accuse me of anything being too heady. It is a little heady. Like, this is a, what I'm going to talk about, I, I hope to distill it, but if we were, to, if we were sitting at Wheaton College in a senior-level seminar class on cultural interpretation, this is the kind of stuff we'd be talking about. If we were at Ted's and we're trying to think through understanding culture and world this is the kind of stuff we're going to talk about. So I'm going to distill it down. I don't, I don't, don't read it and go, ah, just hold on. Right, I mentioned German philosophers and big old tomes, and just, just bear with me. It is good for the church to think. And remember, this class is ultimately about thinking biblically about 2020. It is not called feeling biblically about 2020. It's called thinking. Now, I'm not trying to say that because it's an merely an intellectual exercise, but I have a feeling if you had some helpful categories, you might be able to interpret not only what we just saw this last year in the world, but if, you're, if, if, you, if you want to use that category, you're about to see what we're going to be living in, the, in this next year as well. All right, Because that's what's important is for us to see where are we at as a world. And that can feel like a big category and it can feel vague and it might be something that's hard to put your finger on. So what I've done is I've assembled for you some analysis through several different books, authors, and thinkers, and I've put them in abbreviated two-point notes on this page. And then I'm going to take you through it. So don't freak out. If you're reading it already, stop. With guys like Reef and, and Charles Taylor and all those, just, just hold on. There, it, it, I think it'll be quite accessible when we talk about that in a minute. But, but let's do this. Let's, let, let me open up in prayer. Then I'm going to ask a question that we just respond together at first. Your, your response to what did we learn about the world, not the church. We'll get that next week. What did we learn about the world in 2020? I'm going to ask you what you think that would be and hear from a couple of you. Then I'll give you that category. And then at the end, we'll kind of reflect together again and how we could apply this this category to our our day. But let me just pray first. Father, thanks for this growth hour. We get 45 minutes as the people of Christ to reflect and to think and to grow and to learn. Father, we've had a tough year and we want to learn how to see that as Christians in our culture. Give us wisdom. give Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that respond with grace 
to the missionary situation we are in as citizens of your kingdom. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me just ask you this question. I'd love to hear from a few of you. What did 2020 teach us about the world? What did 2020 teach us about the world? What are, what are some reflections you could say? Yeah. 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 I mean, the comment was every, how interconnected everything is, and with an event like this, everything can kind of collapse. I mean, absolutely true, right? And it was, and even, even we talked a little bit about this last week, it, we no longer just get insight into our own community. So there's an added dimension of chaos and tension because you're hearing about every community all at the same time, right? Like, and, and I would almost teach, I would almost suggest, throw out data that's anything too far extreme. One school district in one community in one part of this 360 million person nation did one thing regarding masks. Throw that information out, right? I mean, because it's, we're so interconnected that it can just be the bad examples or the extreme cases. And honestly, we're not wired to handle that much information. Like we can about handle something like the state of Illinois. I'll, I'll never forget that when I was in the UK. The news would only be about 15 minutes because the nation's not that big. And then the last 15 minutes, guess what they'd cover? The rest of Europe. Because reality is America is practically the size of like Europe as a whole. So yeah, we're dealing with like something the size of all of Europe, and you're hearing news about that all the time, and that's just not how the way it's almost ever been up until the last generation or so. Like 100 years ago, people were not hearing within seconds about something that happened a thousand miles away. They were hearing about so-and-so just broke his leg and he's going to be out of work for two days, and he lives three houses down. I mean, that's what they were hearing. So just be aware of that, but that interconnection has its pros and its cons. Other things. What did we learn about the world in 2020? Other thoughts? Yeah, so that interconnection, the, the response was, has created more polarization, more divisions, more drawing of lines. Absolutely. And, and, and maybe some of you, I mean, I've been around 46.7 years or whatever that would be. Some of you have been along, around longer than that, but maybe in your lifetimes you've rarely seen this much division. And I see heads nodding, and that may be the case, right? There's a lot of division right now. And I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a category to help explain that in just a few minutes. Yeah. That's right. So, like, so the, the, the comments that were in the front were said, to, it, there, there's almost no right answer. You, you could literally rightfully disagree about something, but the polarization is there that, that you draw lines about things where there could be, at least Christian, use Christian language, there could be Christian freedom in certain things. But you draw lines and formations over that. But, but also that now, the other comment was there's enough information that you can just find information that's going to support what you already hold to. And have an entire community and circle and network of people, which is what we're finding. The more that news, and it's no longer ABC or NBC, right? Now it's you're streaming your news sources, just like you do your TV shows. Like you, how many young people are watching NBC? No, they either have Netflix or they're streaming whatever streaming service they want for the shows that they want to watch. They're not necessarily watching regular TV. And that's just going to be more and more. You are going to your news sources with whom you already agree. So just notice that. There, 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 there can be, nobody actually can speak in. You don't hear the other side. 
Or at least you don't hear it maybe in a fair way. And that, 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 that's on both extremes. That's not, that's not picking on one side. But that's the risk. It, it's, it's, it's all insular, and it just creates more division. We no longer can even talk to people on their side. In fact, we may even view them as enemies. Any other, any other responses that you say that we learned from 2020? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you can argue that. I mean, we, we only hear about in the news, but that whole Brexit thing has caused a lot of conflict and tension in churches in the UK. So you have brothers and sisters in Christ in their own churches who are fighting with one another what to do over Brexit. Right? So, I mean, those kind of things. And we, we just hear the news about it and see the prime minister or something like that. But it, those kind of things have a huge impact. And you're seeing that, that kind of wanting to disassociate and distance more and more distrust among countries, etc. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, no, there's no, there, yeah, we know who, Jeff. And that, beautiful that Bears and Packers are mentioned right when Brian Ott comes in. I mean, that's the best part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. It's, 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 yeah. So the comment was basically that it, it has gotten to be extremely complex. And, and our world has gotten more advanced and more complex, and it's really, really hard to have well-thought-out answers or even understanding of all the topics. Yet, ironically, there's been, at the same time, a death of expertise. So you're just talking about perfect storm, right? You're talking about a whole lot of people have to know a whole lot of stuff, and they don't have a whole lot of knowledge about any one of those things, whether it be about any of the political issues of the day or the medical issues of the day or whatever. But there's a lot of opinions on it, but there's a loss of kind of a clarity on sides. It's much more complex. It's nuanced and even a death of expertise. Yeah. I mean, the comment was that it's become very clear this year that Satan has become active in separating us, and that's true. And, that, and that's, I mean, e- even something we could talk about next week when we look at the church and we see the massive divisions happening in the church. And to be honest with you, and I'll I'll give you a category for next week as well to help view the church, but the divisions in the church have have really been matching. Here's the sad part. They match culture. So rather than seeing the church reflect this kind of, it's a castle with this wall and a moat, and you're not bringing that baggage and division into the church, in reality, it's almost one-to-one correspondence. The same divisions that are happening in the world are actually manifesting themselves in the church. Which means, more often than not, generally speaking, we're just acting like the world. Rather than being a light in the darkness, we just, we just are bringing some of that in. Well, well, we'll get more to this in a minute. Let me get to our sheet, all right? Let me, let me get to this. So there's, there's two things I want to say. I want to explain first what a third world culture is. Here's the category. I'm not talking a third world country. So when somebody says third world or second world or first world country, they're talking about economics, technology, etc. Like we, first world versus third world, right? We, we, we are a third world culture. And when I say that, I'm talking about all of the Western world. And let me explain. We are currently living in a third world culture That is, one that does not base itself on something sacred or transcendent. So now I'm going to give you an x-ray 
of the world in which you're living in right now in the modern West, contemporary Western America. Again, this is not just America, by the way. This is Germany, Britain, you, you name it, third world culture. If you haven't heard that term, you can blame a guy named Reef, and if you haven't read Reef, don't worry, I just did. First world cultures believe in the transcendence of God, transcendent in God. So first and second world cultures believe in transcendence. In fact, Reef broke, breaks up world history as having three major segments. The world used to be a first world culture, then the world became a second world culture, the majority of the world, and now the world is a third world culture. The fir- a first world culture is pagan transcendent. Like, it's just paganism. It's just the ancient Greek gods. It's, it's believing that it, when somebody drowns in a river or a lake, that one of the gods was unhappy, and so they needed to appease the gods. It, it was altars all around Rome, anywhere in the Greco-Roman world. Every farmer, every blacksmith would have little altars. There would be a, a lorarium, they were called in Rome, a little altar, because you don't want to make the gods mad. There's no personal relationship with God. Gods are just like big, powerful thunderstorms. But if the crops didn't grow because you didn't get rain, guess what? It wasn't science they went to. What they believe? That the gods were angry. We have to offer more sacrifices. We can't offend the gods. That's how Romans in the ancient world lived. So just imagine in a, Paul the Apostle, really the New Testament, was ministering in a first world culture. So how strange was it when Paul said, God the Father loves you? They never thought of God as personal. They just thought of him as like a powerful force. It's not, it's not like you're talking to the tornado. You're just trying to stay out of its way and not get hurt by it. There is no personal relationship with tornadoes. That's about as personal as you feel between a tornado as ancient world, and everybody believed in transcendence. They believed that there's a spiritual world. We're in a science world now. Well, that's just science, or that's just drowning, or that was a current, or that was this. That was someone's heart, or that was somebody's organ. In the ancient world, it was a first world culture, and there was transcendence, but it was totally pagan. Then... The world shifted at the influence, certainly, of Islam and Judaism, but heavily Christianity and became a second world culture where it was not pagan transcendent, but religious transcendent, i.e. monotheism. And that's where you talk about the Christianization of even the Roman world. In fact, I've been working in a book by a guy named Augustine called The City of God, and this week in the first ten books, he's trying to explain how when one of the emperors decided to deny the Roman gods their place in civic worship and include Christian practice, many of the educated elite in Rome thought that Christianity was the reason for the downfall of Rome. So... Augustine spends, what, the first 400 pages of an 1,100-page book trying to explain that actually Rome blew it because Rome blew it. And there were cracks in the, in, in the foundation long before. But he ultimately is also, the last 12 of those, of his, the last 12 books of that book is talking about the nature of the city of God, hence the title City of God. It's writing for Christians to say, ultimately, you are citizens of one kingdom. But there was a huge Christianization of all of Europe. And you still see it. All those cathedrals. When you go to Europe and all those big churches, many of which now are hotels, B&Bs, dance halls, and cafes, 
And now, you, you know why they're now those kind of things? Because it's no longer a second world culture. It's now third world culture. But in first and second world cultures, there's a moral stability. There's something that anchors you into something beyond. It's no longer just what I think, it's what I'm supposed to do. But a third world culture no longer has social or moral orders on the sacred. There's no longer something sacred. Now, to be fair, you wouldn't have liked the first world culture either because it was pagan sacred, which is what you see the New Testament talking about all the time. You would have preferred that second world culture where there is belief in a God and that's accepted and we base our lives on that. Hence the Christian influence in America and around especially the Western world. There's a huge Christian influence because many of those nations were formed, existed, or developed under a second world culture. Those are gone. Welcome to a third world culture. The second bullet point says this. A th- defining a third world culture, here's what a guy named Truman says in responding, in, in, in engaging with Reef. The culture with no sacred order, therefore, has the task for Reef, the impossible task of justifying itself only by reference to itself. So you, 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 want, you want proof of this. How do you define gender now? How do you define marriage? Is there a transcendent, this is the way it is, delivered down? Or are you finding that meaning in yourself? The only way you can get there is because of a major, major cultural shift, which has already happened. It's not if it's happened. It's already happened. And it took time to develop, and it was probably a process. Someone like Truman would argue it was a couple centuries in the making. Just like Augustine said, hey, Rome didn't just fall because of a couple military mistakes. For centuries, there was this cancer on the inside that led this way. But the reality is, we are already there. And you want proof of it. Literally, my son, first week of class, was asked, which gender pronoun in physics does he want the teacher to use for him? That is not a second world or first world culture. That's third world culture. But notice, it's internal. You're you're looking inward for that. Keep looking at these points with me. The third one says, and this is the most, maybe the most important book on this is by a guy named Charles Taylor. It, it, it's, it's big, it's thick, it's one of the hardest books I've ever read. He calls this cultural approach an imminent frame. Remember that word transcendent? You, you know what those mean, right? Transcendent means other, beyond. That's when we worship this morning, we are singing to a God who is other and beyond. Like he, or if he says do something, what do we, we do it because he's God. And we are not. He's creator. We're created. An imminent frame is God is within us. There's no external authority telling me what to do. How stupid does the Bible look in a third world culture? How stupid does that look? How foreign would prayer in school be in a third world culture? See, you're not just fighting laws, people. You're fighting an entire framework that has moved from sacred to secular. And we are there now. It's not just coming. That is the world we're living in. This is a third world. We may be a first world country, but we are a third world culture. Charles Taylor, third bullet point, calls this cultural approach an imminent frame where this world is all there is 
So moral discourse cannot find justification or root its authority in anything that lies beyond it. Next bullet point. A clear symptom of a third world culture is, guess what? Abortion. Where personhood is now natural, not sacred. When did abortion happen? When was Roe v. Wade? Just before I was born. You don't get there without being a third world culture. So I'm just thinking, Tom, if you're thinking, boy, the world has gotten worse, man. Back in the 80s, it was great. It was already here. Now, I'll explain how that can, you can actually see this coexisting. You can have different pockets where second world culture practices can kind of keep at bay third world culture. But as a whole, it will just continue to spread. And th- th- this is that next bullet point, that, what is that, fifth one down. One important point to note is that all three cultures can exist simultaneously in the same society. This is the reason why society now often feels like a cultural battle zone. It consists of people who simply think about the moral structure of the world in utterly incompatible ways. They will not agree because you will be standing on the fact that that is a life made and owned by God in the womb of a mom and we had better treat that right. And you are totally right. But you are speaking as somebody who believes in the transcendent. You are a second world culture American. Living in a third world culture where they completely disregard any moral authority from God above. Now, how if you are on a judicial committee in Congress, do you work this out? You're not just asking them to look at a few Bible verses. They they, they don't even believe in higher authority. There's none. The end result, look at, look at the last bullet point. The end result of a third world culture is actually anti-culture. For it seeks to abolish, guess what? Anything that is tainted by second world culture. Traditions, institutions, patterns of behavior that transmit values and morals from one generation to the next. Gender is a result. Do you think the institution of marriage has been attacked? Again, you want to know why? Like, do you want to have a category, lenses to see why? It's because a third world culture, like a medicine, will attack a second world culture as if it were bacteria. And it will try to dissolve it. So it's no longer just an issue of, well, you do your thing and I do my thing. The church, brothers and sisters, is a threat to a third world culture. We are a threat. But it's more than just political. It's actually the way they look at the world. That's why that book by Charles Taylor, the the last thing on one, this, according to Charles Taylor, is what it means to be a secular age in contrast to what? A sacred age. So here it is. We come into church like total weirdos in our world. We, we are second world culture Americans. We, we give of our time on Sunday morning not to mow the grass or to sleep in or to watch pregame football, but to worship the Creator. 
We, we base our lives, like we're literally not being intimate before marriage because of a moral order of a, of a sovereign king, and we're giving of our finances to God's kingdom work, and we're serving and loving our neighbors sacrificially, and we're caring about all those things because for us as a transcendent value and morally defined God who gives us those commands, and the person living next to you or working the decks next to you has none of those categories, and you look strange to them. They will make completely different decisions. So it's not just we'll give them, just give them morals or Judeo-Christian values. There are no such things as Judeo-Christian values if there's no Judeo-Christian God. If there's no God to give the values, there's no values you can give. It's gone. This is post-Christian America. And we can have pockets where it's not the case. We can go to courts and fight, but it, 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 is, it, is, it is a post-Christian nature because it's a third world culture. So that's the category, right? Don't, don't think third world country, technology. Well, we are total first world, one of the most advanced countries ever in the history of the planet. But when it comes to what we are as a culture, we are third world culture. Transcendence is dead. God is dead. To the culture, yet we know he's the living God. With Peter, we say he is not asleep. We live our lives completely different, and we look like, guess what? Aliens and strangers in the world. Now let's go to this second category, and this is where I want to show you how what some of you mentioned seeps right into the church. Second and last point, since God made humanity to be meaning-making beings, grounded in and desiring something transcendent, something other, all people were devote their lives to some grand story and higher purpose. That is super important for you to note. Everybody, everybody, everybody. This, and we know this from God's Word. Third cult, world culture, people don't believe this, but second world culture, Christians know this well. God made us to be in communication and collaboration with our Creator. And when that is missing... We will replace that. John Calvin says, literally, human heart is an idol factory. Why? Because we were made to worship. Literally, you and I were made to worship. And you will see it when you turn on the games today and you're seeing the Bears win by 30. Don't hold me to it, Brian. Don't. Like we got to stop Aaron Donald first. But you will see hundreds of of thousands of people in stadiums, which is the modern-day church, worshiping their gods. And befittingly, it's on Sundays. There's a new Lord's Day. Now again, not for you and me. We spend our time worshiping the Creator, living a completely different life. Then we might go home and we'll watch a little football. Because we know the difference. And we can participate in the world and not be of it. Absolutely. I will watch the Bears tonight. But everybody's devoted to something. Everybody has a devotional life. They may never touch the Bible, but they have a devotional life. They are praying to something, trusting in something, worshiping something, and there's a story. There's a story that has to fill their imagination. So, so, so values, purpose, and story. Look, look at the subnotes under point two. Values. Here are the key questions that will drive third world cultures. First, will this make me happy? That's the therapeutic value. Will this make me happy? That's the question. Well, I mean, literally, I've, I've sat with people who would claim to be Christians who would say, 
My husband no longer makes me happy. I, there's no way I can live the rest of my life with this man because he no longer makes me happy. Like, you are, I, I didn't say this, but you are totally speaking like a third world culture American. That's third world culture value. You, you've baptized that and made that Christian. That's not it. The second is the psychological. How can I find myself? You'll find that most of the questions that drive what people do and say is that they find themselves. Truman tells the example, he's one of the authors I resource for this, talks about the answer. His grandpa, I forget where he worked, somewhere like a steel, steel mill or something, and if you were to ask his grandpa uh, what value he got of his work, he would say it paid the bills. Like it put food on the table, it paid for the home, helped him raise his children. You ask people now, they probably will not, they'll talk about how it makes them feel fulfilled. It gives me meaning. It gives me significance. You can't be drinking the water and breathing the air we're in and not have the therapeutic and the psychological impact on us. It just does. And we can act like it doesn't, but it's just impossible. Just like if you grow up in a certain place, you speak, you speak with that accent. Like, I, 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 I never, when I went to Scotland, I never met a Scot who spoke like somebody from the Midwest. And everywhere I go, oh, you, Chicago? Like, people say, Chicago? Well, close, close enough. Like, they could tell it wasn't New York. They know, you're not from Texas. No, I'm not from Texas. I just say, yep, Chicago. And what else do you say when you're, like, across the pond, right? Chicago's pretty darn close. But I didn't, ra- I didn't like, raise up and, like, oh, Australian? Oh, no, I was in Rockford. Like, I don't start speaking like an Australian. Why? Because everybody I hear forms the accent that I have. Now, if that's true with our language, how much true is that with our affections, our morals, our values, our stories? It, but the problem is you don't even realize it. You don't realize what you sound like until you hear somebody other. Purpose. That next bullet point, teleology, that's a fancy word for design, is dead. There's no design. Now that means if God is dead, then guess what that means to the culture, obviously, not in the real world of the Christian life. If God is dead as a moral authority, then he is dead in culture as the creator. We've spoken this language all the time. We speak about nature. And it's not bad per se, but it's actually creation. Like, I remember when I was little, I, I didn't ever say anything about it. I would always say creation in our house. I always wanted my kids to see the beauty. I wouldn't say the beauty. Again, I, I'm not picking on anybody or saying that I haven't said the same thing. I'm just saying notice how we pick up the accent of our culture. Everything is about nature or natural. And it is common grace law, sure. But I wanted my kids to say, when we, let's go for a hike in creation. Because I wanted them to think about a creator. But if there's a creator, there's design and there's purpose. There's a goal and there's an end. There's a process and there's a program. If God is dead, design is dead, and self-creation is the name of the game, with pleasure becoming the key to eternal life. You see any of that in our world today? Here's what a guy named Abraham Kuyper says. Love this guy. No human can survive long without some ultimate loyalty. If that loyalty does not derive from traditional religion, it will find expression through secular commitments. 
Absolutely it will. So here's the story. In a third world culture, religion is replaced by, guess what? Politics. Because it's not the kingdom come. Notice even the Bible knows we're designed to think about kings and kingdoms. So God would say to us, second world culture, seek first the kingdom of God. Notice how Jesus is teaching us to aim our politics right. Augustine, when he writes this book about the fall of Rome and he tries to encourage Christians, he calls it the city of God. The goal is the heavenly city. We were made by God to be political. But when it's no longer God politics, when He is dead and there's no design, when the kingdom is no longer part of the equation, then human kingdoms take their place. So, should you be surprised that politics have ramped up as much as they have? I'm not just talking about the church, by the way. We'll talk about that next week. Because it doesn't look much different, to be brutally honest. But is it a surprise that politics would be so vehemently aggressive that literally whatever you want to call that happened on January 6th is happening in our own country? Not at all. Like, if we were surprised, it's probably because we were still living under the assumption that this is a second world culture. Not that you had those categories. I'm just saying that's probably the assumption. Christian, a lot of Christians, Christian Europe, Christian America, whatever your assumptions were, the very fact that there can be that much division is because politics have replaced religion. Religion may decline. Look at understory, those last three bullet points, and then we'll talk together in our last ten minutes. Religion may decline, but ideological intensity seeks meaning-making expressions. You were made to be meaning-making. You were made to be meaning-making. You were. I, I may have shared this with you. I'm walking out of Camp Randall Stadium with my oldest son after he went to a football camp and literally rocked it in front of all these coaches. And as I'm walking out of that stadium, I have this overwhelming sense that I'm about to be a downer dad. And I literally have to stop and say as we're walking, don't forget your first love. Don't forget your first love. And I almost felt a little bit of that dad guilt for saying that because I wanted to revel in this beautiful moment. But man, he's a meaning-making machine. And if he can find his identity in a game like football, he will love that. That will be his devotion. And King Jesus will get leftovers. And I also have to be a dad of his soul and his heart and his loves. And I'm like, awesome. You, you trucked a few people. Good job. Uh, I saw some people get thrown. Well done. You talked to the coach after. Beautiful. Don't forget your first love. Don't forget your first love. Remember the ultimate true story. What is the most true story? That you were made to worship God and to love Him forever. Don't ever forget that story. And the church should be proclaiming that over and over again because every other venue will tell you to find yourself and to come up with your own story and to invest in that or to focus on human kingdoms. That's what the world will tell you. Focus with transcendence kind of impetus. Focus on that and no, 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 no. Make the kingdom great again. Make the kingdom great again. Don't forget your first love. But that's second world culture. 
speaking to somebody in a third world culture. Religious redemption, look at that second to last bullet point under story. Religious redemption morphs into secular redemption through politics. There's a, there's, a, there's a sign, I don't know who it is. If they go here, I apologize. There's a sign on Hamburg Road in between Elevator and Baroque. Massive banner hung between trees that says, Save America. And it's something of Trump. And man, when I think of save, <laughs> I get, but that religious intensity will turn to politics and there's only one kind of salvation. I remember I had a dad in the youth group rebuke me when I was probably 11 when I said, awesome. And he goes, I'll never forget this. Only God is awesome. And for a second I was like, I was just talking about pizza. <laughs> I, I mean, literally, like that sausage pizza was awesome. But you know what? I, I mean, that I never forgot that comment. Who is awesome? Like, th that the word doesn't even touch. It is only God. Pizza can be very, very good. And ever since then, if I say the word awesome, I still remember that 10 or 11-year-old me being spoken to by that sweet dad. Only God is awesome, son. Yes, sir. Save salvation? Look at that last bullet point. The, here's the result. Political debates... Please hear this. If you, wanna, if, you wanna, if you want spectacles to see what you just saw in 2020 in the world, here it is. Political debates take on metaphysical dimensions, spiritual significance, and are fraught with the existential angst one would expect at a revival meeting. Politics become religion in word and deed and practice. So, I mean, we, we, we've only got seven minutes, and I want to be careful of time, and maybe we can spend more time talking about it next time, but I, want, I just want to, I give two application questions at the bottom. I ask, how does the category of a third world culture give us insight in our world today? And that's the one I'm going to ask you, and we can spend a few minutes talking, but, but I also say this, how should Christians think and act biblically in a third world culture? But, 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 but let, let's start with that first one, and you, you respond to me now. Like I said, I wanted to end with some of that. How does the category of a third world culture give us insight into our world today? You, you tell me. Re reflect on what, we've, what I've shared with you over the last 30 minutes. Someone in the back. Yeah. Your hand was up, wasn't it? Yeah, go ahead. Roger, it's you. That's right. That's right. right. Roger's saying that our, the third world culture should not define who we are. And I'm telling you, that is like saying that don't, don't, you won't be, don't be affected by gravity. It's that difficult. So I, I still, I still, and I get this, I, I, I still get pushback that there's no American flag on the stage. I still do. And I, I understand that. And I've said a million times, there's no country I'd want to live in than this one. I would be a patriot in that sense. Very much love our country. 
But the reason I pushed against a flag in this room is because we needed to know that our ultimate allegiance is the kingdom of God. And there has to be one venue, there has to be one, where you remember, seek first the kingdom of God. There has to be one. And if the church sounds just like a political rally, do you know how many churches sound like political rallies? They have their American celebrations. And listen, who doesn't want to celebrate America? Of course I do. Just like I want to celebrate the Bears and and have fun with the Bears or celebrate my kid's birthday. But I'm not going to make Sunday service about my kid turning 10 a couple weeks ago. And even if the Bears win the Super Bowl, and lots of head shaking, and I agree, I would not wear a Bears jersey up on the stage. Those are personal interests or even subsidiary allegiances that I have that are appropriate into Christian freedom and liberty. But man, when we come in the embassy of the kingdom, we've got to somehow look a little alien and strange that there's a whole other kingdom directing what we focus on. And that's hard to do. That is hard to do. And it's so hard to do that if I remove the flag, I get flack for five years. Because... The third world culture has trained us to see the human kingdom as having religious significance. And that is actually horribly dangerous for disciples. So again, I'm not technically even talking politics right now. If I am talking politics, it's kingdom politics. It's how do we talk the kingdom and make that prime prime in our lives. Other responses or comments. Yeah, well, and, and, and ministry in the third world culture is just going to be different than a second world culture. In a second world culture, I mean, second world culture, everybody already feels the transcendence issue and their feel, therefore, sin is easy to talk about. How do you talk about sin when you're finding yourself? Guess what? You can't. Well, you, you, you can, but I'm saying they won't hear that. Because they, their identity... Their purpose is given full freedom, unhitched from any kind of transcendence. So for me to say, well, actually, God is saying that you and I are sinners is the reverse gospel message of a third world culture where the gospel message is personal freedom and expression. So even evangelism and ministry in the church is going to have to look a little different. It probably isn't going to be because people are flooding into the church doors because they're waiting to hear a second world culture and gospel message. It's going to be because somebody loves them, loves them, loves them, loves them, loves them, loves them, loves them. They see difference. They have relationship. They, they feel the love of them. They see there's something so different. We can even disagree. Imagine that. We can even disagree about something very important to them, and they never shame me or shun me because there's something more important that frames it. That's the way it's going to happen. It's going to be because somebody saw the love of Christ in one of you, and ultimately and eventually, then they came to church. But it's not going to be because they're going to sit here and come hear a pastor speak. It's just unlikely that's going to be the case. It's going to be because of personal connection and relationship. That's why we did, a uh, summer ago, we did a r- relational disciple making. Like you are literally 
the voice of the gospel in people's lives that nobody else in an institutional church is ever going to have a hand on. And you are that person. And if they think your first love is your political party, then you are speaking the language that they would have assumed you would. If you were known for being a Democrat or Republican before you're being a Christian, which arguably is how a lot of us are known, if those are the things we post on Facebook, if those are the things that we promote in conversation, if those are the things that we think is needing salvation, and we have those banners in our trees, then they will not believe in a different kind of salvation because they're never going to see through it. You're going to sound just like somebody on the news channel they don't watch. Anybody else? One more comment. That's right. And, and, and those, those are the questions. And maybe, maybe we actually could have a growth hour at some point where we say, What's it like to live as Christians and to do ministry in a third world culture? Like maybe we could go into more detail. But the first thing I wanted to do is say, hey, guess what? Guess what? Guess what you live in? You live in a third world culture. This is post-Christian culture. And if you ever had any doubt, which I would be surprised if you did, you just have to look at the world around you. And that is the world, get this, that the majority of Christians... Not the third world part, but the pagan part. The majority of Christians in the history of the world live in cultures like that. The majority of Christians throughout history have lived in cultures like that, where they were not doing Bible studies at lunch break at work. They were believing and loving, believing in their foreign gods and loving themselves. And the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter and Augustine. And John Calvin and Martin Luther and you name whoever you want to name, your great-great-grandparents, arguably, depending on where they worked and lived, would have to minister in that context. And that's what we're called to minister in. So that's the category, third world culture. Think about it. Wrestle with it. And what we'll do is next time, I'll bring a new category to evaluate the church. But next time, we'll talk about how has third world culture loves the purpose, the story, how has that stayed outside the church? And how has that actually just doors open, walked right in? All right, we'll talk about that. Get some coffee. Seven or eight cups is needed. Uh, there's got to be donuts left if my kids haven't eaten all of them yet. Uh, and also pick up your kids. If, if your kids are in class, pick, pick up your kids. Or I would say, no, or shoemakers aren't going to pick up their kids. Somebody pick up the shoemaker kids. But I say that so that your workers, the workers who are lovingly training your kids, could actually go fellowship and get some coffee too, all right? Because we're brothers and sisters, and we're thankful for their ministry to us. See you soon.